Amen. Amen. You are our God. And we thank You and praise You that we can have intimate fellowship with You. Lord, may we never take that for granted. May we never take our eyes off of You. Lord, we ask as we go to Your Word right now that Your Holy Spirit would speak. Lord, give us ears to hear what Your Spirit would say to us this morning. We do again thank You and praise You for Your Word. It's so clear. It ministers to our hearts. Father, we pray that the living Word would go out with power. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. It's great to have you here. We appreciate the hospitality of the fellowship here on Cayuga. Amen. We're blessed to be here. All right, well, if you've been coming to Calvary Long, you know that once or twice a year we come over here because something's going on in the gym at VHM, and so we're not able to use that. Um, And with that being said, typically what happens is because of some of the recording capabilities and things like that, you know, if you don't aren't aware, we're on the radio, so the stuff that we do here goes out on the radio, and we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And so to make sure that we don't have a chapter missing that we go out on the radio, whenever we come over here, we step back from our, you know, where we're typically going through Scripture. I teach something else, and then we'll go back to where we were next Sunday. So next Sunday we'll be in First John chapter one. We finished Second Peter last week. Uh, we'll be in Genesis chapter thirty-three on Wednesday night. Now this morning. In your bulletin, that little book you had there, there should be an outline of this morning's message on a white piece of paper. Okay? If you go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 8. Interestingly enough, I'm going to give you some background, but what's happening in this morning's text is the people of Israel are crying out for a king. And they're crying out for a king that they think is going to be their answer to all their problems. Wow, sounds kind of familiar and kind of appropriate this week, amen? And the truth is this, there is no king, there is no man, there is no body that can give us the peace that can only come through Jesus Christ, amen? Now, we should be out and we should vote, we should be proactive in, again, standing for the truth and standing for the Word of God, and we should vote along the lines of what the Word of God says, but regardless of what happens, I'm so thankful that God indeed is in control. But let me bring you up to, to, again, give you the context. Now, 1 Samuel began with the children of Israel. The way the book of Judges ends, it comes right before 1 Samuel. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. There was no good, no evil. Everybody was their own moral, you know, moral relativity, relativity compass, right? They just decided, that's good for me. I think that's right, so I'm going to do that. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Again, sounds a lot like the country we live in today. They were caught up in pagan idolatry. There was no judge in Israel. The priesthood was corrupt. You know, Eli was the high priest at the time, and his two sons were an absolute train wreck, as we'll talk about in a moment. They were using their position to fleece the people, to take advantage of the women who came to sacrifice. People came to the point where they began to resent worship because they saw that when they went to worship, all they got was ripped off. Again, sadly sounds like some of the church today, amen? People going and the motives of those in ministry is not to proclaim Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead, but they see it as a business to make money. The other day, we're, you know, we're looking at three different buildings out in Scotts Valley. Keep praying about that. And one of the owners of one of the buildings said he knew that I had a full-time job. And he said, well, man, in this, in this environment, uh, I'm sure religion pays a lot more than advertising. And I wanted to say, dude, that's it. You're out right there. That's it. Dude, are you kidding me? But see, sadly, that's the world's view of religion today is that it's one big money-making operation. Well, guys, there's nothing new under the sun. All the way back in the days of Samuel, Elijah was such a lax father that his corrupt sons were using the, you know, the sacrificial system as a way to not only fleece people for money, but to get women. Unbelievable. So they went into battle finally without the Lord's leading. Here they are, this, you know, they've turned their back on God. There's corruption within the, the priesthood, even. Uh, Samuel, as we know, was brought and raised by Eli. You talk about faith. 
Hannah hears from God. She cries out to God. She's praying, and Eli hears her praying and thinks she's drunk because he doesn't even recognize what it sounds like for people to pray with fervency anymore because that's how bankrupt things had become. And he thought she was drunk. She says, no, I'm not drunk. God's told me I'm going to have a son, and I've promised to give him back to the Lord. So as soon as she had weaned him, he was probably three years old or so, she came and brought him to be raised by Eli in the same house with Hophni and Phinehas. But some time goes by and a battle comes and because they're not walking with God, now they're in the battle on their own. Guys, if we don't walk with God, we're fighting the battle on our own. And can I encourage you that what this country needs is to get back in love with Jesus Christ, to be unashamed of the gospel, to point people to him as the only answer for what ails us today. Amen. And so we see then what happens is they go out into battle and they get whipped soundly. And so then they try to make God, force God to be a part of their, you know, their battle. And they take the ark with them out into battle to say, well, look, if we take the ark, then God has to be on our side. You know, some people walk around with a cross on their neck or call themselves Christians trying to force God to be on their side. Guys, God is not stupid. And you cannot manipulate him. Amen. And wearing a cross around your neck or calling yourself a Christian, by your fruit they shall know you. We need to listen to more what people say than what they call themselves. It's more about character and more about what they stand for than the labels they place on themselves. We're here these were these priests, Hophni and Phineas, and they bring out the, the ark as we know. Hophni and Phineas died. Word came back to Eli. He fell back and he died leaving only Samuel as the prophet at that time. The ark had been taken captive. You remember what happened. The uh, Philistines tried to use the ark as one of their gods. So they brought it in with Dagon. You guys remember this story? So they bring their god in with Dagon. They come in the next day and Dagon has fallen over and is basically bowing down before their ark. Well, they set their God back up. Now, if you have to set your God back up, you got problems. But they set their, they, you know, they get the guys and the winches and they set their God back up. They go back in the next day and this time he fell over and his head and his arms fell off. Well, not only did that happen, but the people were struck with tumors. The word, I'm, I'm going to be blunt, the word in the original language is hemorrhoids. Seriously, it's in the Bible. And so these guys are struck and they're like, whoa, hey, you know, this art thing not working out so much. So they send it on to the next city. Guess what happens to them? Same thing. Eventually they go, get that thing out of here. And they send it back to the children of Israel. Now they've got the ark back. But sadly, they have the ark back, but they're not serving the God of the ark. And in the midst of all of this, God does, through Samuel, bring about a time of revival. Remember that even when the ark came back to the children of Israel, something happened pretty heavy duty. They were moving the ark and they chose to remove the lid and look into the ark in their minds to make sure the stuff was still there. What was in the ark? You know, the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod, a jar of manna, right? Well, they opened it up to make sure that stuff was still in there. And we know what happened is that those who did it were struck down dead. Why? Because, guys, we need the mercy to cover the law. Amen? If we look straight at the law, all it reveals is we're sinners in desperate need of a Savior. That's why the mercy seat, where the blood of Christ, you know, again, the picture of where the blood of Christ would be shed, right? They would bring the blood of the Lamb and sprinkle it. It's all, What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, as we sang this morning. So now the ark is back, and there is a time of revival. As God begins to work in their hearts, they reinstated the sacrificial system. They went out and God brought a great victory. They went out and fought the Philistines. Read chapter 7 when you get home. God causes a great thunder. The Philistines are confused and they start fighting amongst themselves. And God allows the children of Israel to come in and run them over. I'm praying for mass confusion in the voting ballot tomorrow. God's way, not man's way. Amen? God can do that. He can do anything. Amen? So there's restoration. He gave them back all they had lost in rebellion as they went back to serving Him. They went back to honoring Him. They realized they'd gotten away from Him. Lord, help us that that would happen in our country. That we would realize we've gotten away from the Lord and we'd fall back in love with Him again. So Israel gets to that place. 
God's back on the throne. They're broken. They're confessing. They have removed all the false idols. They're praying. They're fasting. They're submitting to godly counsel. Samuel, the prophet of God. They've reinstated the sacrificial system. They're walking in victory. God had restored all that they had lost. Wouldn't it be great if that was where the story ended? But sadly, we get to chapter 8. And what happens? God has just won a great, brought a great victory. They're back serving Him. God is on the throne. God is, you know, the one they're following with their whole hearts. But Israel, having experienced revival and restoration, it wasn't long before they dried up and began looking for someone else to follow. So, that brings us to this morning's text. And I titled the message, Falling Away from God. How to quench the spirit of revival. As we come to the beginning of chapter 8, revival is there. God is moving. God is great. They've seen His mighty hand of victory. They know that their God alone is God. Dagon fell over and broke, right? The Philistine God's broken. Their God is still faithful and still in control. But notice how to quench revival. How do we quench it? We look to men, not to God. We start looking to men instead of looking to God. Second, we look to the world for direction, following the world's example and rejecting the Lord's leadership. Third, we disregard God's word. We refuse to heed his divine warning. We don't truly believe what he says. That's what it comes down to. And then finally, we demand our will. We believe that we know better than God and we act like it. So let's begin there in verse 1. As Israel is going to demand a king, they've got a king. Almighty God. But they want a king like everybody else has one. Look at verse 1. And just begin looking to men, not to God, as one of the ways that we quench the spirit of revival. Now it came to pass, when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now revival has come during the time that Samuel has been reigning as prophet. And Samuel, what he did as the the prophet of Israel at the time, as he would travel around, almost like on a circuit, and go from city to city. And he would proclaim the truth. And he would also be the one who would mediate between uh, the Israelites. And he was God's voice. He was God's man. But now he's getting older. And as he's getting older, uh, no doubt harder for him to travel. Uh, and now it's time for him to give the ministry away. And the way it worked most often in those days, those who served as priests you know, God would, it would go through their line. So the, their children would be the ones that would be raised up next. Well, sadly, just like Hophni and Phinehas, we're going to see that Samuel's children, though raised in a godly home, though they had, you know, been taught the truth, though they're, again, being groomed for this position, we see that they don't follow in it. And sadly, how, how must break the heart of Samuel? You know, I want to say this. A couple of things we learned from this verse. Notice that Samuel is old and he's still busy about God's work. Amen? He didn't retire. He didn't give up. He didn't quit. He was still busy about God's work. And he was also faithful to give the ministry away so that it would continue on after he was no longer alive. Now, Samuel's intent in giving the ministry to his sons was no doubt to give the ministry away to see it continue on. Verse 2. The name of his firstborn was Joel. Joel means Jehovah is God. Man, I like that. He made it very clear. It's not Dagon, it's Jehovah. Amen? He named his son Jehovah is God. Every time his son was called in for dinner, I could almost hear Jehovah is God coming to the house, right? What a constant reminder. He was getting spankings. Jehovah is God, you're going to get it, you know? Be reminded, Jehovah is God. He named his other son, Abijah, his second son. Abijah means Jehovah is my father. Is there any doubt that Samuel raised his kids in a godly home, teaching them the truth? So at some point, he's been raising them in that environment. He feels they're ready, and he's going to give the ministry away. And he does. And it says, they were judges in Beersheba. If you've been to Israel... Beersheba is the southernmost tip of Israel. 
You hear them say from Dan to Beersheba. Dan's the northernmost tip of Israel. Beersheba's the southernmost tip. Now, this means that they were judging as far away, very far away from their father. So they were kind of isolated. And we're going to find out that not having their dad around, they're not going to be up to, they're going to be up to no good. They're sadly going to be more like Hophni and Phineas than their own father. So they're away from his influence and away from his oversight. Verse 3, But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. How heartbreaking. How Samuel must have just grieved. Raised in a godly home, godly father, godly instruction, but they did not fear God. Here is the problem with our country today. The same problem that was in the lives of Samuel's sons. They did not fear God. Guys, we need to fear God. I pray every day, Lord, do whatever it takes to make us fear you again. Now, I'm not talking about us as individuals. We may fear God greatly. I sure hope so. But I look at our country sometimes, and I think our God is far more mocked than he is being feared. And it just grips me and it breaks my heart. And I think, Lord, help us. And you know what, guys? We're living here for such a time as this. God knew that you'd be living in Santa Cruz in 2008. And he knew that God had called us to be salt and light of this place. Amen? And I pray we would not use the tactics of those who do not know God. We should not be hateful. We should not be arrogant. We should not be militant. We should be loving, gracious, godly, standing for truth. Amen? So they turned aside after dishonest gain. He taught them the truth, but they turned from it. Samuel's son's motivation was not faithfulness to God, but the pursuit of material wealth. Few sadder things can be said of a man than that he used his God-given position of ministry for his own personal gain and selfish motives. It says there, dishonest gain. That word is plunder. They basically plundered people. They stole from people. People came to bring sacrifices or people came to get godly counsel and they used that position of authority from God to rip people off. They took bribes. They were willing to you know, contort justice for their own gain. Whoever would pay them the most, they would side with them as opposed to honoring God. And the end result was perverted justice. And again, that word perverted means stretched or bent or skewed or turned aside. You know, when someone in authority twists the judgment to help one who pays them the most, I can think of few things more wicked than that. It says in the Bible and Proverbs, He who profits illicitly troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. You know, too often today we have things, and again, I, I know I'm way more political today than I've ever been, so there it is. But you know what? We have things where, you know, people go in and that's their job to convince someone to vote their way because they pressure them financially. Guys, that's just not the way God does stuff, amen? We need to instead just look at the truth and stand up for it. Man, I pray before I die, we'll have one man who's willing to do that. Who will stand up and say, you know what? Guess what? We're going to do it God's way. How about that? You never get elected in our country unless there's revival first, amen? Samuel's sons brought trouble to their family because they took bribes. The Bible says the king gives stability to the land by justice, but a man who takes bribes overthrows it. These godly men, young men, not godly young men, were raised in a godly home, had been taught and trained in the truth, selling out for the perishing riches of this world. So what happened? A couple things people say. You read through commentaries. Some think, well, Samuel was gone so much ministering to others they didn't take time to minister to his own kids. Well, I think that's a little harsh. And I don't necessarily believe that's the case. Under, others wonder maybe if you put him in a position he never should have been in. You know, a dad's desire to see his kids really serving God. So he kind of sanctifies them by putting the ark in their hands, if you will. Putting them in a position of godly authority. And while, again, to some level each of these is possible, I believe that the lesson we need to learn is this. In our houses, ministry must come first. Our home is our first ministry. Amen? Before you do anything else, minister to your wife. Minister to your kids. Amen? Minister to your spouse. That's your first ministry. And also, we must make sure that we don't ever try to sanctify somebody 
by putting them in a position of authority just because we want to see them become more godly. But I believe the ultimate example here is this, is that a man and a wife can raise their kids in a godly home, they can discipline them, they can disciple them, they can pray for them, and they still have free will. Now, we don't want to hear that, do we? But no, I pray for my kids. They're going to be saved. I don't, if I have to knock them down, they're going to be saved. Don't we all feel that way? Whatever I got to do, hey, I'll, I'll put them on the ground. Say it, say it, right? You know, whatever I got to do. I'm still bigger than all my kids, so, you know, hey. But you know what? The truth is, at some point, it's got to go from being my God to their God. From my faith to their faith. And I think that while we must absolutely make a top priority to raise our kids in a godly home, to teach them the truth without compromise, to love them enough to apply godly discipline, we must not make the mistake of assuming that a rebellious child is a result of unfaithful parents. Amen? Some of you this morning are sitting here and you're like, man, I have kids who are not walking with God. You know what? If you were faithful and you've been faithful and you can still be faithful, they still have free will. You keep praying. Amen? You keep praying. You keep being a godly example to them. Their disobedience, no doubt, grips Samuel's heart to the point of breaking. Now watch what happens. Then all, verse 4, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. So concerned, and rightfully so, the elders of the state of Israel, you know, they're worried about what Israel's going to become if his sons, you know, take his place, if he dies, and now they're the ones in charge. And so they come to Samuel, and they're concerned about the future of Israel. They come to this appointed judge. Most likely, Ramah is where he lives. So they came to his home, and they share these difficult words. And here's what they said. And they said to him in verse 5, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. You know what? That was a hard word to bring to the judge of Israel. That was a hard word to bring to a prophet like Samuel. But they brought it to him. And you know what? If the sentence ended there, I'd say, wow, these guys are really godly. Because they did a very difficult thing. They stood up for the truth. They went even to the judge of Israel. They came to him in his own home. Samuel, in, you know, what they're saying to him is, you know, Samuel, we respect you, but you're not getting any younger. And while we respect you, your boys are a mess. And you know what? The respect for Samuel's God-given authority and their well-founded concern for his age reveals that these guys have enjoyed this time of revival. They've seen God do a great work. They recognize that God's done something awesome. They recognize that Samuel is God's man. They recognize they need a godly man until you read the rest of the verse. And you realize that they've made the mistake of going the way of the world. It's enough to recognize that there's a problem with Samuel's sons, but it's yet another thing to look in the wrong place for the solution. And then they say this in the second half of verse 5, Now make us a king to judge over us like all the nations. These are God's people chosen by God. All the other nations have a bunch of statues they serve and a bunch of kings they follow. And how have they done so far against the children of Israel? Let's go back and ask Egypt how it worked out for them. Almighty God brought plagues upon Egypt. He delivered His children out of bondage. They knew that had happened. This is nothing new. They go out, the enemy comes and attacks, and God wipes out the enemy. God is faithful. God is greater. God is stronger. But yet, they want a king. Why? Because they look around and everybody else has a king. Here's where we get ourselves into trouble. We start looking around when we ought to be looking up. Amen? We start looking at our neighbors and looking at our friends and looking at countries around us and looking at what other people are doing when we should be looking up. Elders had so quickly forgotten that it was God alone who had revealed His power in thundering against the Philistines and wiping out a greater army. But instead of trusting Him alone, they wanted a man they could follow like all the other nations. God's plan for Israel, they wouldn't be like other nations. God's plan for you and I is we, that we would not be like the world. Amen? God's got a different plan for you. Will you act different? We are different. We're new creations in Christ. Amen? We have a promise of heaven. We're filled with the Spirit of the living God, and we ought to live different than the world around us. 
Their faith was to be in God, not in any man. And here we see the beginning of Israel falling away from God. The quenching of the revival that has run through the land as they look to men, not to God. Their faith had been shaken by two unfaithful men, so they say, give us one man who can take his place. They should have said, it's men we don't trust. We put our faith in God. Should have cried out to the Lord instead of cried out for a man. Good lesson for each of us to learn is to put our faith in no man but in the Lord alone, lest our faith be shaken by the failure of a man. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we must not make the mistake of looking to man. We must look to God. So point number one in falling away from God, how to quench the spirit of revival, look to men, not to God. Both lose and build your faith based on the actions of men. Number two, look to the world for direction. We do this. The church is more guilty of it today, I think, than ever. We need to be more like the world so the world will feel comfortable at church. I hope the world never feels comfortable here. Amen? You know what, guys? If I'm not convicted on Sunday, I'm going to the wrong church. And I'm born again. And so if somebody's not saved and they come to church, they boy, they better be convicted. Why? Because there's sinners in desperate need of a Savior. If you can come in living in your sin and feel comfortable here, then Jesus Christ is not being lifted up. And He must be lifted up. Amen? So we don't look to the world for direction and we don't follow their example. We follow Jesus Christ alone. So it says there, But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel, a man filled with the Holy Spirit, was displeased. The word there means broken up as he knew their request was contrary to God's will. So Israel, in desiring a king to rule over them, was rejecting their true king. They weren't just choosing another king, they were rejecting their true king. Guys, when we put anything in God's place, we've rejected Him. We've removed Him from the throne. And we've put something else in His place. He shares the throne with no one. Amen? And when we remove Him, we're serving a false god. Israel, through Samuel, had direct access to God, but rather than realizing how truly blessed they were, they looked for their answers in a man. So it says here, the second part of verse 6, they are not, it says verse 6, excuse me, give us a king. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. Guys, what a great example for what we should do when we're in a, in a mess. What a great example for us when we don't know where to turn. When we see around us a disaster, bad decisions being made. Guys, instead of using our wisdom, let's seek the Lord. And Samuel prayed. He sought God's face. He wanted to hear from the Lord. Samuel, when faced with a trial, cried out to God. Israel, when faced with a trial, cried out for a king. Verse 7, And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all they have said to you. They have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Now, here we see a picture of God's permissive will. Is it God's perfect will that they have a king? What's the answer? Absolutely not. But do you know, as we're going to see, and we finish up here in a little bit, that if we keep asking enough, God will give us what we ask for. And guess what? That could be the worst thing for us. But God knows, you know what? I'm going to let them have what they want, and they're going to find out just how their decisions, just how their fleshly will is the fruit of it when they see it coming to fruition. I'm going to give them what they want, but He's going to warn them before He gives them what they want. Guys, God will never force His highest upon us. But God has a plan for your life. God has a great plan for your life. He came that you might have life and life more abundant. God didn't come to save you and leave you in a pit. He, he made you an heir to the throne. You know, we'll be a, we'll rule and reign with Him. He's going to always be God. He'll always be above us. But we are joint heirs with Christ, the Bible says. Do you know that? And because He has that calling and that direction for our lives, and there's such great things before us, Lord, help us not to miss it, getting so caught up in the stuff that's passing away. We can get so caught up chasing after the things that are perishing, we can miss out on this one life we have to live for Jesus Christ. God will often allow us to have our way that we might be brought to the end of ourselves 
and look up. They have not rejected you, they have rejected me, that I should reign over them. God alone was to be on the throne. And when we follow the world's example, putting our faith in any man, any army, any government, any 401k plan, or anything else, we're rejecting God and His rightful place upon the throne. Verse 8, According to all the works which I have done since the day I have brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, which which they they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. This was nothing new for Israel. This was same old, same old for Israel. God does something great. Remember in the book of Judges, seven times in the book of Judges, they start serving, they, you know, they're serving God, things are great, they rebel against God, judgment comes, they're in a place of bondage, they finally get to the end of themselves, they cry out to God, God rescues them, He restores them, God's blessing them, everything's wonderful, and they turn their back on God again. Happens seven times in the book of Judges. And we look at that and think, these people are stupid. You know what? How many of us have done the same thing? God rescues us. God blesses us. He directs us. He's with us. And then we just decide, well, I'm going to go my own way for a while. You know, I think on this decision, I got something else better going on over here. And we turn away from God instead of trusting in Him. You know, Israel, God had delivered them out of bondage in Egypt. He destroyed the enemy when they attacked His people. God had performed incredible miracles. Remember the Red Sea parted. Hello? There was a pillar of fire leading them through the wilderness. They heard God's voice from Mount Sinai. And they said after that, Moses, don't let him talk to us anymore or we're going to die. You go talk to him and just come tell us what he said. But while they were waiting for Moses to come down, what did they do? They made a golden calf. Guys, we get so impatient waiting upon God, we make gods of our own. Guys, we need to wait upon the Lord. We need not try to get things done ourselves. Let's just trust in him. Let's wait upon him. We're so impatient. Had to wait at the drive-thru 45 seconds. What's wrong with these people? Is this fast food or slow food? What's up? Is that our mentality or what? And we can take that over in our relationship with God. I prayed about this for three days. How come he hasn't answered? Sometimes he answers in three minutes, and sometimes he answers in 30 years. He knows what he's doing. Trust him. Amen? We pray in our time. God answers in his time. Verse 9. Now, therefore, heed their voice. However, he shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So if we cry out for something long enough, God will allow us to have our free will. And he'll say, okay, here you go. You want it? It's yours. And often the greatest judgment God can give us is to let us have things our own way. It says in Psalm 106, And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their souls. Falling away from God. How to quench the... Spirit of revival. Look to men, not to God. Number two, look to the world for direction. Number three, disregard God's word. Help us, Lord. So prevalent again today in the church. Told you, I meet with some, I meet with a group of pastors, you know, know, at least I think we've done it, I don't know, four or five times now. And when I meet with these guys, one of the biggest struggles they have is what they're going to teach next. And they're like, what series are you doing? What are you teaching? I don't know. I found this thing on the internet. What's that website? Oh, I already did that one. What about this thing? Oh, what about that? Oh, I got to do a series on this. I'm like, then you get to me. What are you teaching? Genesis, 1 John. What are you going to teach after that? Exodus and Jude. You know what I mean? They're like, well, how do you do that? You open the Bible and you teach it. I'll tell you what. It's so much easier when you know what's next. Amen? How about we just teach? They're like, wow. One guy looked at me and goes, wow, that's unique. I'm like, unique. But how hard it is to be a pastor today trying to find the next wow to draw the crowd. Let's not look for a wow. Let's let Jesus be the wow. Let the Word of God be the wow. Amen? Seven steps to financial freedom. People are struggling with their finances. Let's do that. Three ways to overcome our anger. I see angry people in the parking lot. You know, whatever. And we try to... We try to preach the felt needs. How about we just teach the whole counsel of God and let God move in people's hearts, amen? And so he says, here comes the disregard for God's word because God's going to open up heaven and speak through Samuel and tell him exactly what's going to happen. Watch what it says. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. So Samuel doesn't get up and say, well, I think you ought to. He said, God said, and I like that. 
He didn't get up and say, well, my opinion after th- mulling this over and talking to a few friends, running up the flagpole and got some input. He just says, let me tell you what God said. What I said is irrelevant. What I think is irrelevant. What does God say? You know, Samuel was simply a tool in the hands of his master. Amen? And all the tool does is what the master tells him to do. And so he was a tool in the hands of his master, and the Lord spoke to Samuel, and Samuel turned right around and spoke to them. And he said, verse 11, And he said, This will be the behavior of the king who will rule over you. He will take your sons and daughters and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over thousands and captains over his fifties and set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. So your sons are going to be used as the equivalent of animals. You make him the king, he's actually going to have some of your sons running out in front of his chariots and dragging him everywhere he goes. The rest of them are going to be plowing in his field. So you want this guy to be king, you make him king, he's going to turn your children into slaves. Point number one. You think that would be enough, right? And to fashion and make his weapons. Verse 13. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. So your sons will be as slaves in the field and carrying around his chariots and, you know, enslaved to his every wish. And then your daughters will be serving him domestically. Verse 14. He will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He's going to raise your taxes and give them to his friends. He's going to say, hey, I can control your money better than you. Oh, that sounds familiar. But you know, I, I have an idea about the way things should run, and that's the way we're going to do it. And so what is he going to do? He's going to turn your children into servants. He's going to take everything you have. He's going to leave you desolate before it's over. If you choose to put anyone else on the throne but Jesus Christ, that's the end result. You're going to be left desolate. You're going to be left hurting. He will take a tenth of your grain and vintage and give it to his officers and servants. He will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants. So what will he do? He'll take, he'll take, he'll take, he'll take, he'll take. You make a king, he'll take. He'll... And again, it's still true today. False gods of this world can only take from you. But don't you love the fact that when we speak of our God, all He came to do was to give to you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Amen? The gods of this world take. The false kings of this world take. Our God gave and continues to give. And then it says this, what a warning. And you will cry out on that day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Whoa. Okay, guys, you want to go your own way? Okay. I love you. I'm going to try to convict you. I'm going to try to draw you back. If you just keep going that way, eventually I'm going to let you have your way. But oh, by the way, when the consequences come and you cry out to me, I'm not going to hear you. That's what he's telling the children of Israel. You're going to cry out, I'm not going to hear you. Why? Because sin has consequences. Amen? Now this is not a cry out of repentance. It's a cry out where we get in trouble and then we cry out to God. But we've been the ones who disregarded His Word all the way along the way. We just said, okay, Lord, I'm going to go my way. I'm going to do what I want. I don't care what Your Word says. And then we get in trouble. We find ourselves in jail or, you know, with a a broken marriage or a, a lost business or whatever it may be, and then we cry out to God. And it's not really a cry of repentance as much as it is a cry to God to fix our problem. The truth is God can't fix our problem until He fixes us. Amen? Because guess what? We are the problem. Amen? I wake up every morning and look at my biggest problem in the mirror every day. Amen? It's not my boss, it's not the environment, it's not the economy, it's not this, it's me. It's my relationship with the Lord. And he tells them, if you keep going that way, the Lord's not going to hear you. If you insist on rejecting God and following the world's example, and you put a man on the throne that rightfully only belongs to him, be ready to go it alone. Guys, may we not walk away from God, but may we cling to Him with all our might. Amen? Our God came to give. Our God loves us. How would Israel respond to these very clear and divine warnings from the Lord? This is pretty clear, isn't it? 
You got any questions about this? If you read this, okay, they're going to take my kids. Yep. And take my stuff. Yep. And take my daughters. Yep. Going to slave everybody. Yep. Then I'm going to be a slave before it's over. Yep. And before I'm done, I'm going to cry out and say, get rid of this guy. That, is that pretty much it? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Verse 19. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and said, no, but we will have a king to reign over us. This is in the stupid hall of fame. God tells them, if you go this way, this is what will happen to you. And they say, we don't care. We want it anyway. Now, none of us can relate to that, can we? God's word is so filled with warnings for us, isn't it? You've got to remember, he's not a no-fun bummer God trying to keep you from fun. He's a loving Heavenly Father who wants to keep you from harm. And he writes the word to say, if you do this, this is going to hurt you. He says, do not be unequally yoked. You know that's the equivalent of don't play on the freeway. Amen? I'm, I'm seven. I'm playing on the freeway. My dad don't know what he's talking about, right? Bus comes. Not pretty. And here's the point. We start telling God. We start thinking we know better than God. You know what? A seven-year-old's intelligence compared to ours is a lot closer than ours compared to God's. Amen? But we start giving him edicts. But I've been waiting for a spouse a long time, so, you know, I'm just going to help you out here, God. I'll bring her to church. I'm sure she'll get saved. It'll work. Do not be unequally yoked. But God, I, hey, I'm smarter than you at this point. I'm going to do it. You know, if you do that, it's going to cause you nothing but harm and heartache. I'm doing it anyway. And then we get a call at the church office not long after that. I can't believe I did. Yeah, I know. We tried to tell you. We still love you. God's still a God of love and grace and mercy. Aren't you glad? But we all can get to the point where I want what I want and I don't care what the consequences are tomorrow. I want what I want today. Aren't we so fleshly like that? I just want it right now. And sometimes we have to learn the hard way. The importance of the obedience to God and His Word. So just how thick are these people? It seems unbelievable, even crazy. They would actually bring affliction upon themselves. I don't believe that they really thought the affliction would come. Amen? The Word of God says it, but they just don't really believe it. Oh, that's just Samuel. You know how Samuel is. He's that prophet guy. Come on, man. His own kids are a mess. What does he know? You know what I mean? And you start judging the servant instead of listening to the Word. Amen? And so that's what's happening here. They don't really believe the consequences are going to come. But again, we do the same thing every day. I wrote down a few examples. Being unequally yoked, it will lead to harm and destruction. And we say, well, everybody else is doing it. Couldn't hurt me. God says, do not be drunk with wine. Does the Bible say that? What's the answer? It does. And we drink like the world and we call it liberty. I got liberty in Christ, man. Uh, No, you don't. You have freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. Amen? And we are, not, we are not to be like the world. If I see another pastor's website with him holding up a Heineken, I'm going to be sick. Well, look how worldly I am. Look, I'm really cool. Sitting on my Harley drinking a, drinking a you know, Heineken, man. I'm cool. No, you're not. You're worldly. Amen? Lord, help us. What in the world is happening? God's God's word says sex is to be maintained within the bonds of marriage. And that's between a man and a woman. Amen? And the world today says, hey, it's a 21st century, man. I've had coworkers say, dude, it's 2008, lighten up. 2008 years since what, by the way? Jesus Christ, amen? He's still in charge, he's still God. God's word says we're to be salt and light in the world, but not of it. And we live just like the world. God's word says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And we place him lower down on the list. God's word says it's the Ten Commandments. We act like it's the Ten Suggestions. God's word is not a menu to choose from. It is the standard for life. But here's the, here's the problem is that we look at them. We think, how thick are they? They've been told what's going to happen, and they're going to push through and press for it anyway. But God's Word has done the same for every single one of us, and God's Word has done the same thing for us as a country. Amen? A while back, they had this thing where they, they brought 
pastors to Washington, D.C., and I'd never been there before. And they, take us, they took us through a group called Wall Builders, and they took us through at night through the, through the uh, Capitol building. And what was amazing to me is when you go in the rotunda of the Capitol, there are six paintings on the wall. There is a baptism, two Bible studies, and a prayer meeting out of the six uh, paintings on the wall. We were told that when Thomas Jefferson was president, one of the biggest churches in Washington, D.C. met in that place. And he's the guy who they used to use the word separation from church and state, which is nowhere in any government document anywhere. Did you know that? As, as we keep separating the church from the state, the state is in trouble. Amen? Guys, we've taken Bible out of schools and prayer out of schools. How are the schools doing? How's that working out? Where chewing gum was an issue 40 years ago, now it's, you know, kids coming to school with weapons. You know, we've taken, you know, the word of God away. We've removed the truth. And we've replaced it with the lie. We went from ministering to, to young girls in, in school to taking them down to have an abortion without their parents' knowledge. We've gotten so far away from the truth. And it all starts when we stop making God the one who's on the throne. When it starts being the, the wealth, it starts being the economy, it starts being, guess what else? The wishes of men. I don't care how many people vote for something that's wrong, it's still wrong. Amen? But God, uh, God is so good, and there's such peace in knowing that he's still in control. He's faithful. Then it says, that we may also be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Romans 12 says, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and, per and acceptable and perfect will of God. It should not be my will, but thy will. God had already won the battles for him, guys. Do you know that every battle you have to fight, God has already won? You know the battle belongs to the Lord? You know that he's way more faithful? Why would we put our faith in anyone else other than? than him the egyptians had already been wiped out the philistines had just been wiped out and they still wanted a man and let me encourage you uh, they're on the website all the samuel studies are always free i think we have podcasting now too but you can just go on there and you can and on, a lot of them are on video as well you can go on and watch and, and go through first samuel incredible as they raise up king saul good looking charismatic boy that sounds familiar good looking charismatic speaks well you know Oh, man, he's good-looking, though. Man, he's head and shoulders above everybody else. Oh, that's the guy. That didn't work out too well. And then it says, And Samuel heard all the words of the people and repeated them in the hearing of God. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed their voice, make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Every man go to his city. God gave them what they wanted. And they would indeed have to learn the hard way. And again, as I said, sometimes the greatest judgment we can receive is to be given what we've asked for. Guys, be careful what you ask for. Amen? Better and easier to learn by heeding His Word than by enduring righteous judgment. So, falling away from God. How to quench the spirit of revival. Look to men, not to God. Number two, look to the world for direction. Follow the world's example and reject the Lord's leadership disregard the word of god refuse to heed his divine warning don't truly believe what he says god says it we don't really believe it if we really believed it we would live like it amen help us lord to live like we believe what you say and then finally demand your will believe that you know better than god and act like it no matter what the cost is may we pursue his perfect will not his permissive will may we trust him he knows best may we press in may we not follow away fall away and guys if we don't pray for revival in this nation nobody's going to do you understand that we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know god act like they don't know god but lord help us we do know god and may we act like we know god and may we be reflected in the way that we reach out to this world may we realize that we are the remnant in this nation a man once said, I forget the exact person, who came to find out why America was doing so well over a hundred years ago. And he returned back to England to say that America is great because America is godly. But America will cease to be great as soon as America ceases to be godly. 
Sadly, we ceased to be godly a long time ago. But you know what? It's not too late, amen? We need to keep praying for revival. Can God bring revival to the United States? What's the answer? Absolutely. So Lord, whatever you need to do, do it. Because we want to see people saved and and eternity impacted. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that, Lord, you are our king. And you will always be our king. And that we get to follow and serve you. And you are ever faithful. And Lord, I just pray and ask in Jesus' name. I want to pray on behalf of each person in this room. Help us, Lord. All of us struggle at times with putting other things and other people on the throne of our lives. Help us, Lord, to have only you on the throne. Lord, to seek first your kingdom. Make you the priority in our lives. Above our careers. Above even our marriages and our children. Lord, we know if we pursue you, we'll have great marriages and we'll be godly parents. But Lord, we should never put our kids above you. Lord, I pray we wouldn't put our our politics above you. I pray we wouldn't put our pursuit of economic wealth above you. But Lord, that you would be the passion and priority of our lives. And Lord, I do pray for revival in the United States of America. Lord, you've blessed this country in such great ways. Lord, your hand was upon us for so long and you've been so faithful and so gracious and so merciful. And Lord, we know that it's only by your grace that we're even where we are today. But Lord, you've been gracious toward us. But Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that you would do whatever is necessary to bring revival to this country. Lord, that people would once again get their eyes off of the world and get their eyes back on you. The Lord, we would cease to look to a man and we would look to you. Lord, we put our faith in you, our hope in you, our trust in you. And so, Lord, we come humbly and broken before you. We ask, Lord, you would use even us to be tools in your hands. Even as Samuel was a voice for a truth in Israel, Lord, may we be a voice for a truth in this country that so desperately needs to hear it. And Lord, I pray for the pastors. Bring revival to their hearts. That we get back to the word of God and not be ashamed of you. And Lord, we know that every one of us in this room, we haven't arrived. We haven't got it all figured out. We're one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. We realize that, Lord. May we never be self-righteous. But Lord, may you keep us broken and humble and desperate, glorifying and honoring your name. And Lord, we thank you for the promise in your word. We're going to see you face to face one day. No matter what happens between this moment and that one, we know, we have the assurance we're going to be in heaven. But Lord, we want to use the time we have for your glory. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.